Thank you, Dave, for the introduction. Thank you for being here as well. As you've heard, my name is Paul, and uh, our subject is Refreshing Your Leadership in God's Grace. And uh, the organization name that you see on the screen, this is the organization I'm now working with, which is based uh, just outside London, but uh, I'll be coordinating their ministries across the UK in training and supporting folks in leadership. So do pray for us in that. You would be, well, maybe you wouldn't because you're here, perhaps because you are a leader, but it is really quite remarkable how many leaders, Christian leaders, are feeling dry, close to being burnt out, unencouraged, poorly fed. We often say that the second least well-fed person in many churches is the pastor, and the least well-fed person is often the pastor's spouse. Um, and so we want to come alongside folks who are in ministry and leadership of all kinds and at all levels, not just those who are, are pastors, but to help both provide good training that starts out well and, and refreshing training, but also to say there is support that is here, a sounding board, pastoral support, encouragement, and spaces that we can help to create where you can come and be refreshed, which is what, one of, what this seminar is one of. Um, But at the back on your way out, you will find a couple of leaflets that are there, which are about other things that we're doing. One of those, it's a double-sided thing, so you'll see both sides, is a couple of courses that we're organizing in Northern Ireland within the next year. One is in apologetics, uh, which is in partnership with a network of apologists in Northern Ireland called Sofron. The other is in pastoral care, but that was yesterday's seminar um, that I was talking about. But the other thing... Uh, which I'll flag up again at the end of the session, is our Pastoral Refreshment Conference. At the moment, we have two dates that are released for that, which are both in England in February next year. But I'll tell you at the end, we are going to be having one in Ireland in February next year, and I'll give you the dates if you want to save those. Uh, But that conference, uh, and I'm not saying this as a salesman for the organization, when I was in church ministry, I went to these conferences, and I was greatly blessed by them. And when I go to them, they are, in my experience, I'm not saying they're unique across the board. I don't know everything that's happening, but they are, they have a uniqueness where they are genuinely a place where you can come, uh, particularly for, for folks in pastoral leadership and their spouses, come and the guards can come down a little bit and there's none of the sense of competitiveness or rivalry or, or even denominational boundaries and so on. It's a place to come and be reminded of Jesus, refreshed in him and fed well so that you can continue to feed others. So anyway, that's enough about, about that. I'll mention that event again at the end. But what I want to do in this time really is for us to, to engage in some refreshment, to be refreshed, not just to think about refreshment or about how we might be refreshed, but actually to be refreshed. One of the passages that strikes me in ministry often is Paul's opening words in, well, they're towards the beginning of his letter, his first letter to Timothy. I have a wee spider who wants to join me here. So, um, But in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 12, here's what Paul says. And as I read this, I want to begin by asking you, as a servant of God, And again, I know that in a room like this, some of you will be ministers or pastors, some will be deacons or elders in churches or people with leadership in various different ministry areas, but we're all called to serve God. And so two questions I want you to start with. One is, what brought you into it? 
what brought you into serving God? What first motivated you? We're going to hear what Paul says. But also, how do you see that ministry? Is it a great thing, a good thing, a gift from God? Listen to what Paul says. Verse 12, 1 Timothy 1. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to return to those words at the end of our time in way of prayer. But what brought you into ministry? And how do you see your service for God? Is it a gift of God's grace? Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus that he considered me trustworthy. Don't ask me to explain that bit. (laughs) Because if you're like me, you're not thinking I was trustworthy. And I don't think that's what Paul means either that it was him in his strength that was trustworthy. It's Christ who made him trustworthy as well. But it's a joy for Paul to get to serve, to be part of the service of Christ. And then he goes on to talk about his salvation, if you like, but he doesn't separate those out. It's It's the whole package. I get, in fact, he says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Grace overflowing, grace abounding, as John Bunyan many years ago put it, to the chief of sinners. That's how Paul sees himself. But the grace of God for him is not just in the fact that he gets to be saved, but that he gets to serve. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often stop and see my service for God, which I hope is what some of what I do is when I take out all of the other motivations and all of the other things. I don't often stop and see it as a gift of God's grace. The abounding grace of God. We get not only to be saved and to wait for heaven and to to, uh, have the joy of knowing our sins forgiven, but we get to serve and to minister. And let's recapture that as a sense of gratitude to God for his salvation. But let's take a moment then to reflect. So we're going to do this through this time together. We will pause and apply and reflect and think about our own lives and our own situation. So I want to do that. This is going to be slow. The other day, Gilbert was talking about about slowing down. Rosaria, I think, said it too, didn't she? We need to slow. So often we're so busy and this is a space to slow, to stop, to listen well. Let's Take a moment to pray before we move on. Father, I know that many in this room may not be feeling like thanking you for their service for you. 
Because as we heard this morning, the call to serve you is also a call to share in Christ's suffering. Father, some of us are suffering deeply. We have suffered. We've been burnt or scarred. Even in moments when our intention was to serve you and to serve others in love. Father, we want to not shut those experiences out this morning, but to bring them to you. To learn, even in those moments, to give thanks for your grace that abounds to us and all of us if we're aware of our sinfulness and what we were, can say that we too are the chief of sinners. We're no better than anyone else. But help us this morning to be shaped by an awareness of your grace to us that abounds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's reflect three questions on the, on the screen. And those questions, as most questions do, raise other questions. I know that. But take a few moments to ask yourself those questions about your ministry. You don't need to feed those back to anybody else. This is purely between you and the Lord. First of all, how successful do you feel in ministry? And I want us to be honest here, because we might feel that's not a very spiritual question to ask. And perhaps it isn't. But it is a question that you may be asking of yourself or that others might. And how do you feel about that? And how, secondly, are your energy levels in ministry? However you measure those. I'm not going to give you a graph, but you can draw one if you like. Where are you in the fuel tank? Where are you in, the, in your energy levels? And thirdly, what is Jesus saying to you in ministry? Or do you believe that he has something to say to you in ministry? So take a moment, you may want to focus in on just one of those three, that's fine. And allow yourself to reflect on that and to ask the Lord, what is it that you are saying to me? What is it you want to say to me in this next 45 minutes? So let's take just a few minutes and then I'll draw us together again after that. So take time to reflect on these questions. Let's turn to scripture and hear some of the words of the Lord. If you've got a Bible there, please um, open it, either on your phone or physically. That would be great, at Matthew 11. And at the end of, of this session, I would like us to read over this passage slowly. I'd like some of you to, to do that, to, to read from where you are. And, and it would be great even if that's in different versions. I know some of us will have different versions so that we, the rest of us, can listen together. So I'm just giving you a heads up uh, that I'm, I'm going to be asking for that at the end. And it'd be great if we had some folks who were willing to do that, just three of us who could do it. So it's not just my voice. But Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. Let's listen to what Matthew records for us. It says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I suspect the the last couple of verses there are quite familiar to you. You've probably heard those before. They're, They're popular verses, aren't they? The appeal of Jesus to come. And uh, to come those who are weary and are heavy laden, and you may well have heard that or even preached from that evangelistically, or even to believers as well. But that's really where I want to focus in. You'll have seen it in the description of the seminar, those words of Jesus. I want to focus in on that invitation that the Lord gives and what that means for us as people who serve him and particularly who are leaders in different spheres. But to do that, I think as ever in Scripture, it's really important, isn't it, to look at the context. And so those words of Jesus don't just come out of the blue. They are unique to Matthew's Gospel, by the way. That particular form of words isn't in any of the other Gospels. And interestingly, what precedes it, this talk about the Father and the Son and the relationship between the two, if I had quoted that to you without referencing it, you might well have thought this is John's gospel because it it sounds very like what John records. That's quite reassuring, isn't it? Because John is quite different from Matthew, Mark and Luke and sometimes people emphasize the difference so much that it sounds like they were recording different people, but they're not. It's just they put different emphases. But this is exactly what John says or what Jesus says in John's gospel about his relationship with the Father. But notice there is a flow that is here. Now the the, the passage, verse 25, begins, at that time Jesus declared. So that's going to raise the question, at what time? What goes before it? But we don't have time to to read the rest of the chapter before it. and, And so you can do that at home if you want to take more time to reflect. But what we see following that is that what does Jesus do? Well, what is the time? Let me just summarize that for you in terms of what Jesus says just before well, have a look at your, your Bibles. Look through, skim over that passage in Matthew 11. So take a moment to do that so that you see it's not just my summary of it. So what is there? There's Jesus and John the Baptist. There's John asking, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replies, go and report what you've seen. Verse 4, John's disciples are leaving and Jesus speaks to the crowd and he talks about John. And then he says, among those born of women, verse 11, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, but whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And he talks about the advance of the kingdom. And then verse 16, he says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. Verse 18, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he is a demon, and the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here's a glutton and a drunkard. 
If you were listening to Tim last night, you'll know that was one of the things Jesus was accused of. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. In fact, this is the parallel passage to the passage or or one of the parts of the passage uh, Tim was reading from last night. So what are these times? Well, verse 20 onwards, then Jesus denounces cities that didn't receive him, even though they saw great miracles. And says there is judgment coming for them. So do you see the theme that runs through that? It's all about who recognizes God's timing. And who recognizes the coming and the presence of the kingdom of God in Jesus. There will be those who reject it. And there will be judgment. There will be those who embrace it. And they will be greater and experience greater things than even John the Baptist did. And so then what does Jesus do as he, as he reflects on that at this time, he turns to his father in prayer. Maybe there's a, an important lesson there, isn't there, for those of us who are ministering to others. We look, we see the times, which is what Jesus is doing here. He's talking about cities and towns that are rejecting him and the judgment that will come on them. And he's looking at people who are accepting him. And even John the Baptist, by the way, at this point at least seems to have a little bit of doubt about whether Jesus is really the one. And and maybe in ministry, those are some of the pressures and challenges that you face, that you're looking for faithfulness. And you're almost to the point where, as Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth at all? Maybe there's discouragement. Maybe there are folks who are turning away. Maybe you feel that burden to say we're proclaiming the word of God, but some are rejecting. Maybe it's the pressures in our culture. But where do we turn and what do we do? Well, the Lord himself turns to prayer. And he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. When I look, or when you look at those that you minister to, do you ever, ever, just even for a moment, think, I wish there were a few more powerful, stronger, (laughs) bigger, more influential people, richer people who could give a bit more, (laughs) or people who didn't demand or weren't so demanding or so needy and 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 so on and yet Jesus is thanking God that it's to the children and the little ones and the weak ones that his father has revealed things that's his prayer and it's a prayer of thankfulness and of thanksgiving but his prayer then moves into a comment he prays and he comments And he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. It's a comment about how salvation works, and how ministry works, and how progress in people's lives works. And then he issues his appeal, and he says, come to me. I think there is something about the flow of ministry, isn't there? Of prayer flowing into comment and teaching, flowing into an invitation that says, come, not to me, but to Jesus. 
So there's something in the ordering of this that even in itself is a lesson for us. But let's look in turn at each of those three little sections. The prayer of Jesus first. If I can put a heading over that, I think what Jesus is saying. And remember, he says this in John's Gospel. When Jesus prays aloud, it's not because that's the only time he prays. He's in constant communion with his Father. And he even says it in John that I'm not praying this for your benefit, but for the benefit of those who are listening. He's drawing us into the way things really are. Because alongside Jesus, as he talks about towns and villages that will reject him, and as he talks about uh, John and the signs of the kingdom and how many are not following him, are his disciples, aren't they? And they may be scratching their heads and saying, what's going on and how can this be and what is God doing and why are we not seeing greater results? And there's discouragement potentially in that. But what Jesus is saying is that the knowledge that counts comes by revelation from the Father. Now, do we believe that? Not just intellectually, not just theologically, but in our hearts as we think of ministry, do we believe that what really matters in the lives of the people we minister to is what God is revealing to them? And do we believe even this morning that he is speaking and wants to reveal things to us? Or could it be that we we drift along and we get so removed from that presence of God and that listening and that prayerful attitude and that confidence. Notice how Jesus addresses his prayer. How does he begin? He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Who do we pray to? How do we pray? And this is also partly in ministry about how we model prayer to others, isn't it? As, as Jesus did. And the way we address God in prayer is not just a, a, an empty form of words. I tend to say Heavenly Father, that's my style, but it, but it can mean so little when I say it. But Jesus says that the one he is praying to is both his Father and the Lord of heaven and earth. You see that beautiful coming together of sovereignty and care. The Lord, the one who is sovereign and the one who cares for us as Father. And where does our ministry begin? Does it not begin with that acknowledgement of God and who he is? Is that not part of what I and what you may need to be refreshed in, to stop and to say, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth is Father and I am. I'm son, daughter, child of his. And then he says that the father has not, has hidden these things, not just that he hasn't revealed them, he has hidden them from the wise and learned. Human paths of learning and wisdom are not paths to spiritual insight. I need to check myself, don't I? Gilbert's been challenging us on that from Philippians. What Paul said, the things that I counted gain, I count loss. Let's be honest in our hearts. Do we think either that our learning and our qualification is what legitimates us in ministry or that our lack of it might prevent us from it? That's not Jesus' perspective, is it? That is a human perspective. But we can so easily drift into that way of thinking, can't we? But you didn't come to faith through your effort and qualification, did you? 
let's be thankful that the path to spiritual insight is not through those pathways. So what is the challenge? I think it is to see God as he is, as Lord and Father, that he advances the kingdom in his wisdom, not by our technique and skills. You may not think it's through learning and education that the kingdom advances, but we do, don't we? Let's be honest. We drift into thinking, if I could just get the right program, the right technique, the right skill, the right speaker, the right whatever, there will be progress. Do we really believe that? And please, you, I hope you know, I'm not saying we should be sloppy and not use the gifts that God has given us and others. But if we have started to think it's our technique that will really see the kingdom advance, then we're drifting into an idolatry, aren't we? And it's also seeing ourselves as we are. (laughs) There is no room for pride. Who do I think I am? Just a little child. (laughs) Because those are the only people that God reveals the kingdom to. Those are the only ones who enter into the kingdom. And it's coming back to that place and saying, maybe that's not hard for you because you feel little and small, but that's okay. Because you've been beaten and knocked and discouraged, but that's okay. So I want to pause to apply this. Ask the question, how successful do you feel in ministry earlier on? Well, that raises the question, what is success? And do we think success is our achievement and that failure is our fault or that we deserve more recognition for what we do? Maybe it's only me who struggles with these attitudes of heart. Let's be honest before the Lord. Have we lost confidence that God can and does reveal himself to people in salvation and for their spiritual growth in the kingdom? Let's reflect and pause and take some moment before the Lord to talk to him about that and about those heart attitudes. Is that okay? Lord Jesus, let us hear your voice. Teach us to pray like you did. Amen. So moving on from the prayer, Jesus moves on to comment in verse 27. And his comment is really about himself and his relationship with the Father. And it's now that knowledge that counts comes not just by revelation from the Father, but through the Son and through relationship with him he says all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him that is a very strong statement isn't it of Jesus relationship with his father and it's all things and no one and no one there is an exclusivity isn't there to what Jesus says here that, as I say, is often more familiar to us in John's gospel, but it's here in Matthew as well. It is an exclusive claim. All things are handed over, not some things, not some things for this time in history, but there's more to come down the line. All things. And it's not some people, but all people who will come to know the Father, will come to know him through the Son. And then he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. When we think of the all things, it's not just an exclusive claim, but it's a claim of sufficiency. 
You get that? It's, it's not just, well, you know, Jesus is the only way, but we only get a little bit of it. It's, it's Jesus is the only way, but that's wonderful because, because Jesus has been given all things and he is sufficient in every sense of the word. And so the challenge here seems to be, and, and, and please, I'm not making a comment here about salvation of those who haven't heard and so on. That's a whole other subject as to who can come to Jesus and how they come to Jesus. But for those of us who know him and, uh, and have heard these words from him and those who are listening to Jesus, there's not Jesus plus some other ways. There's not Christ and then some other way to come to God or to grow into the kingdom or to, to get to know God or to stimulate your spiritual life. It is Jesus. And so the challenge is both that our teaching, and for those of us who teach, whether that's by preaching or, uh, or, or whether it's in group discussions or whether it's one-to-one, uh, many of us will be involved in teaching in different ways, or even as parents in our home when we teach, is it Christ-centered teaching? It's not God in the abstract that we talk about. It is God as revealed through Jesus, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even in our evangelism, do we keep Jesus at the center? Do we really believe it ties in with what Gilbert was leading us through in Philippians 3 again this morning, doesn't it? That it's to know Christ. And I'm not saying that any of you are likely to have denied Jesus in your teaching. But do we sometimes give the impression that it's Jesus plus something else? Do we let him drift to the side when we're teaching? Do we bring him to the fore, to the center? But it's not just in our teaching, it's in our own devotional life, isn't it? A Christ-centered spirituality, if I can call it that. Do we have Jesus at the center? Do we relate to the Father through Jesus? And are we learning to relate to him like Jesus in the way that Jesus did because I think that's what Jesus not I think in the context that's what Jesus is calling us to isn't it that we enter into this relationship within the Godhead within the Trinity maybe the most remarkable thing here is not the fact that Jesus makes an exclusive claim that it's only through him but the fact that he says it's possible at all for us to know the Father and to know the Son Is that our desire? Is that our goal? Is that our drive? Is that the center of our devotional life? It ought to be, oughtn't it? It needs to be. I'm preaching to myself here, believe me. And so I want us to pause again to apply this and stop and think. Is Jesus the center of my teaching? Has our teaching at times become sub-Christian? In other words, we don't present Jesus fully. We've lost confidence to do that. Or we've drifted back to kind of something pre-Jesus. Even when we teach the Old Testament, for example, are we leading people towards Jesus as we do that without butchering the text, showing how he fulfills it? And may our our teaching rather be Jesus plus teaching. 
In other words, we give people the impression that, yes, you come to faith through Jesus, you get into the kingdom, but if you really want to advance, it's, it's some other knowledge. It's the kind of new Gnosticism, isn't it? Some other knowledge, some other experience, whatever it is that is beyond Jesus rather than new experiences of Jesus and deeper knowledge of Jesus. Now, I can't answer what that looks like in your teaching. I think I'm beginning to see what it looks like in mine, and I need to learn. But let's take a moment to think about that if you are a teacher. But more importantly, in your devotional life, in my devotional life, have we drifted from Jesus and the wonder of the gospel? So if all you do in these few moments is just to stop and think of the cross and know that Christ The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me and to give thanks to the Father for the Son, through the Son. Let's pause to apply and reflect. Father, we thank you that Jesus is unique and sufficient Help us to appreciate him more. In his name we pray. Amen. So we move to the invitation of Jesus. And the heart of this invitation is this, I think, that rest, true rest, is found in being yoked to Jesus. It's not occasional rests that Jesus is talking about here. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I could hear that and think, okay, Jesus wants to call me aside for a little bit of my day or a little bit of my week or a little bit of my year or once every seven years if I get a sabbatical, if you're in a role that lets you do that or whatever it may be. That's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? Although sometimes those things are incredibly important and we need, don't we? If we're going to model a Christ-centered spirituality to those we lead then we're going to need to get those healthy patterns of rest into our lives aren't we and of refreshment that's something that's really important but Jesus is saying more than that here he says take my yoke upon you verse 29 and learn from me you don't take a yoke on yourself when you're going on holiday or sabbatical do you the yoke is about work Come back to that image in a minute, and, 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 and it's a rich image. But what we're learning is, I think it's Tony Horsfall who has the book, who's a great friend of New Horizon and of mine, and he, he, he calls it working from a place of rest. Recommend the book and many of his other books too if you're looking for something that just you can read over slowly and, and, and work through in, in God's grace. But I need to learn to work from a place of rest. that, that my work will come out of the times of rest but will also be restful in the sense that Jesus means here and it's why the ordering of this passage is so important because it's only if I know that God is sovereign and it's only if I know that the success in what really matters in in spiritual terms of my work is utterly dependent on what he is doing that I can let go of the burden to think it depends on me. 
not so that I give up and don't do the work that God has called me to, but that I do it with confidence that he wants to work through it. And so the challenge is to realize that ministry, or not not the challenge yet, but to say ministry is a gift from God and being heavy burdened is not. And that doesn't mean that hard work is not what God is calling you to or sacrificial work. Of course it may be. But the emotional burden, the sense of being heavy burdened is not something that Christ calls us to. When we begin to feel that, and if you're like me, you will feel it at times, and you know what that feels like. But the call of Christ is to come and to say, be yoked to me. So what does the yoke mean? Well, of course, it's an agricultural metaphor, isn't it? As Jesus' metaphors and pictures of the kingdom so often were. Because a yoke prepares the ground, the plough rather prepares the ground for a place where growth can happen. And kingdom growth is like the growth of plants. It's organic growth. That's how it happens. And so all of the parables of Jesus about seed and about the growth of the seed and the growth of the kingdom are wrapped up behind this idea, if you like, of of how the kingdom grows. But it's also got an Old Testament resonance. Do you remember when, when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam was becoming king? And he had two sets of advisors, the older wise heads, <laughs> some of those in the room, and <laughs> that's great. And then the young impetuous guys, I'm somewhere between those two. But what did the, the older guys said? Look, you need to relax the pressure that your father put on the people, the taxation and so on. And the young guys said, no, make it harder for them. Stamp your authority. Well, how does Jesus rule? Because the metaphor that's used in Kings is when when Rehoboam says it to the people, he says, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. (laughs) And so when Jesus says, take my yoke, it is also a messianic claim. It is a claim to be the king, the rightful king. The people are yoked to their ruler, to their king. It's a call again to come under the lordship of Christ. But how does Jesus rule? Is it a heavy yoke? There's no option here not to have a yoke. You notice that. You're going to have some sort of yoke. If it's not Jesus that you're yoked to, it will be somebody else or something else. If it's not his agenda, it will be somebody else's agenda. And you know that, don't you? That everyone has their agenda for what you ought to be doing. And of course, it might be your own agenda. But Jesus is saying, come and come under my rule and let me set the direction. It's not a a yoking of two oxen that are kind of equal. (laughs) It's come under my yoke and I will lead you in this. But it is at the same time a close dynamic, even an intimate relationship, isn't it? You can't be yoked alongside someone else and, and be far from them. You can't be yoked alongside somebody else and not... Sweat alongside them, if I can put it the way, and hear their breathing and feel the, the, the pace and, uh, and, and feel them lifting their part of the load as you lift what they have given you to do. And, and that's what we're called into with Jesus, isn't it? And I think it's captured again by Paul in Galatians 5 when he says that we need to keep in step with the Spirit. It is by the indwelling and empowering Spirit of God, isn't it, that we are yoked to Jesus. It's not, well... 
Jesus isn't here on earth the way he was for the disciples who first heard this. So how can I be connected with him? It's through the spirit. It's about listening to him, walking with him step in step, letting him set the direction. And plowing the furrow that he gives to plow. And it's about knowing that he's carrying the real weight here. (laughs) But that we come alongside him as the trainee. He says, come to me and learn from me. The yoke that matters is Christ's. We're not called to march to anyone else's beat but his. And that's not a call to to radical anti-authority or whatever. If you're under authority as a leader, work under authority. God has ordained that authority and it is a good and a healthy thing. But when that authority clashes with what the Lord is saying, you need to speak back to that authority, don't you? And you need to say, well, actually, before the Lord, here is where he is leading. And that maybe is the challenge for each of us, isn't it? To know where is he leading in this moment? Where is the turning direction that is of him? And then to lead others to follow that. But we're never alone when we do that. You might feel lonely in leadership. It's one of the perennial challenges, isn't it? But you're never alone. You are yoked to Christ. You are indwelt and encouraged by the Spirit of God. But Christ's priority for you and for me, no matter how far along the furrow you are, how long you've been plowing, is character, isn't it? He says it, learn from me because I am gentle, lowly in heart, meek. It's always going to be his priority for you and for those that you lead, that they and that you become more and more like him. So let's pause to apply again. And then I'm going to ask maybe three folks to to read the passage If you would be willing to do that, just I'll ask it then. If you put your hand up, I'll I'll get three of us to do that. So we hear the words of Jesus in different different voices, not just mine. But whose yokes am I serving under? Where is the burden coming from? Where's the pressure? Where are the expectations that are seeking to put a yoke on me that is not the yoke of Christ? Just because it comes through somebody else doesn't mean it isn't his yoke. may well be that they are guiding you and he's guiding you through them. But where are the yokes that I have created, that I have submitted to, that I have accepted that are not his easy yoke? And what burdens am I trying to carry alone that I really need to share with Jesus and I need to let him bear the weight off? So pause. Make this not just theoretical but practical where you are. Be specific. Make a note of it. And then ask, how do you change that as you go forward? Holy Spirit, would you whisper again that word of affirmation to our spirits that we are the children of God? And would you empower and refresh us in our leadership as we seek to keep in step with you? We have some volunteers just to read those words from verse 28 to, to 30. Any, just put up your hand if you would. It would be great to hear, as I say, other voices. Thanks, Gilbert. Any, any others?
would you mind brother thank you so much and maybe one more is there a sister who would do that no Thank you, really appreciate that. So just we'll go in that order. So let's just listen again, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, just that invitation part, nice and loud, so we can, we can hear. Thanks, Gilbert. Let's pray. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom we our chief. But for this very reason, you, Father, have shown us mercy so that in us, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those that we seek to lead who will believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. I hope that's been some help to you this morning. Maybe modeling, just a slowing down. I'm really happy to chat to you afterwards. I'm also going to pass around, for those who don't need to completely rush off, a sign-up sheet. Sorry, if you would like to receive more information from Living Leadership, please sign up. You can unsubscribe at any point. We won't bombard you with emails. But just to to remind you as we go, this uh, pastoral refreshment conference that I mentioned at the beginning, there are some leaflets there. I've not got a huge number but at the back, but these are specifically for the ones in England in February next year. We also have one, as I say, we're, we're saving the dates. It'll either be Monday the 10th or Tuesday the 11th begins in February next year, but for two nights and three days, uh, venue to be confirmed and so on, but it will be on those dates. So if you want to save those in your diary, if you sign up either on that sheet or by email to me or using the details on the form, you'll find the, the or on our flyers, then we'll send you information and we'd love to, to bring you there for more refreshment in the Lord. But 